Well, hey, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for your feedback. It's so good to have everybody in the room today and to see all of you and to worship God together. Isn't that wonderful? I love the worship time this morning. I hope it was encouraging to you. Uh, I am back after a little bit of vacation. My wife and I got to get away for a few days, just the two of us. That's the first time that's happened in several years. And that was really, really nice, really refreshing and relaxing. We got to do some hiking and just marvel at God's creation, the great outdoors, really, really awesome time. And, uh, I am, and I'm ready to get into a new series today and excited about this series in the parables, looking at the parables of Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus kind of can mean a lot of different things to us when we think about the person of Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is to you. Maybe he's the one who listens to your prayers. Maybe he's the one who saved you from your sins. Maybe he's the one who's preparing a place in heaven for you. Or maybe you're not even really sure about Jesus yet. Maybe you're here in this room or watching online right now and and you're not 100% sure who Jesus is to you right now. That's okay. The Jesus we want to introduce you to in this series is Jesus the storyteller. Jesus the storyteller was a huge part of his ministry. Jesus back in his day was someone who was called a rabbi. And you read that through the scriptures. People called him a rabbi, which means he was a teacher. They looked to him for teaching how to live their lives and for spiritual teaching, how to understand God better, how to understand how God wanted us to live our lives, how he wanted them to live their lives. And so people called him a rabbi. And he was a new teacher in one sense. He brought fresh teaching to them. But in another sense, he integrated perfectly into the culture that he was in. And he used the teaching tools of the day to teach more effectively. And we have a lot of teaching tools available to us today just because of technology that they did not have 2,000 years ago. And so we have projectors and screens. We can put cool visuals up on the screen to show you different things. But they didn't have that back then. And so what Jesus did is he walked around. And they they walked around Israel together and he pointed at a building and he talked about that and he pointed at a tree and and a, a mustard plant, all these different things. And he looked at these different things and those were his visuals. We have a sound system right now that can broadcast to hundreds of people and communicate the message. And what Jesus would do is he would go up on a mountainside or he'd get in a boat and go out on the water and he'd use the natural acoustics to project his voice out to people. And sometimes we'll even show you a video to illustrate something. I don't have one of those for you today, but sometimes it's really nice just to be able to kind of give you a short story or something like that in video form. And of course, if Jesus had done that back then, if he had just like miracled a TV into existence and showed them a video, they would have passed out because they'd never seen anything like that before. And who are these magical people inside the box? And so instead, he told parables. He told parables and parables are short stories or analogies that are fictional, but teach a real truth. They take some kind of a truth, often a spiritual truth, and they turn it into a fictional story or analogy form. And that is what Jesus did. That's how he got many of his points across. Now, rabbis were well known for their use of parables. And we still use parables today. We just don't call them parables. We call them illustrations. So we use parables all the time in our preaching, but we call them illustrations instead of parables. Parables are great because they keep people's attentions. Stories cause our brain to engage on a different level. All I have to do is say, hey, one day I was walking along the beach and the sand was slipping away from beneath my feet and the sun was shining down on my face. And all of a sudden you're there and you're thinking about that. And there's a part of your brain that just lit up and went, oh, that's a story. I'm more interested in that because stories keep our attention, but they don't just keep our attention. They also make deep truths easier to understand. 
because they take advantage of something that's already relatable to us, something that's already known to help us understand something that maybe isn't known as well. And so parables bridge the gap between where we are today and the truths that we need to know or understand, and they help us to grasp it better. But they do even more than that. Parables also help us to remember deep truths because we are more likely to remember a story than we are just a a raw set of facts. And so parables are helpful in a lot of different ways. And here's how it would often work back in the days of Jesus. A rabbi would sit down and he would start to teach. And his disciples, maybe 12 or 15 of them, would gather around him and listen to him teach. And maybe it was a passage from the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Old Testament. Maybe it was some topic that he wanted to share about that day. But he would sit down and share with them. And teaching uh, in, in those days, and even today, depending on the environment, is very much a give and take. And so this is a smaller group of people. It's not a, not a big broadcast. They would have those as well. But this is like a small group. And there'd be a teacher who would be teaching and there'd be people who would be asking questions and he would answer them. So he'd teach for a while and someone would say, Rabbi, how does that impact this? Or how do I live this out? Or what about this? I don't understand how this works. And the rabbi might just answer their question. He might just tell them the answer. But sometimes he would pause and think about it for a minute. And then he would say, and this was their favorite phrase. Rabbis loved this phrase. It's recorded all over rabbinical literature. To what may this be compared? It is like, and then he would tell a parable. Rabbis were well known for their parables. They did this all the time. It's how they liked to communicate truths. And it got people's attention. And it made deep truths easy to understand. It also made them memorable to them. A parable is a type of something in Hebrew called a haggadah. Haggadah. Haggadah, you may be familiar with if you've ever done any kind of Passover Seder. There's the Passover Seder Haggadah, which is a retelling of the story of Exodus. But Haggadah is basically something that is used to illustrate commands. It's something that helps you make commands easier to understand. And then there's another word called halakha. So we're going to try these together. Haggadah. Could you say Haggadah? Very good. Now say halakha. Excellent. Okay. You're all honorary Hebrew students now. So Haggadah is illustrations about commands and and Halakha is the commands themselves. Halakha is giving the instructions. Haggadah is illustrating those instructions. And and the reason you need to know that is because the first parable I'm going to share with you is all about the Haggadah and the Halakha and the practical impact they have on teaching back around the time of Jesus. I'm going to tell you a parable. This is not a parable from Jesus. This is from a different rabbi, actually a couple hundred years later, but it perfectly illustrates the, um, the halakha and the haggadah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. This is from Rabbi Abahu of Kisran. Now, Kisran was another name for Caesarea. So this is a rabbi from Caesarea named Abahu. And I want, to, I want you to know a little bit about the character of this rabbi Abahu. He had an interpreter that would go around with him and interpret what he was saying to the people. I I don't know if he typically spoke a different language or what the story was, but he usually worked through an interpreter. And one time the interpreter's wife and the rabbi's wife got to talking. And the interpreter's wife said to the rabbi's wife, you know, my husband is the one that's actually doing the communicating. Your husband, they don't even know what he's really saying. And so my husband could, could do all of this without your husband. And here's what she said. And I quote, my husband has no need of your husband. Now those are fighting words, aren't they? 
You can just sense something boiling up inside of Rabbi Abahu's wife as she's hearing the interpreter's wife say, my husband can do all of this without your husband. He has no need of your husband. And so Rabbi Abahu's wife went to her husband, very offended, and said, can you believe what I heard this woman say? You need to get rid of this guy and just teach them a lesson. And just listen to what Rabbi Abahu told his wife. He said, what difference does it make to you? Through me and through him, the one above will be exalted. And it does not matter which one of us is teaching. That's a pretty great response, isn't it? That's pretty amazing. That's the kind of man this rabbi was, okay? So now you know a little something about Rabbi Abahu. Let's learn one of his parables. And there's some setup to this. So Rabbi Abahu is teaching and people are gathered around him. And another rabbi, Haya Bar Abba, is teaching in another place and people are gathered around him. Rabbi Abahu is teaching Haggadah. And what is Haggadah? Oh, man. You're going to do very poorly on the quiz at the end of this. Illustrations about the commands. And Rabbi Bar Abba, Haya Bar Abba, is teaching Halakha, which is the commands, the instructions. And you know what happened? All the people left Rabbi Haya Bar Abba to go listen to Rabbi Abahu. They left the one who was teaching about the instruction, or the, teaching the instructions to go listen to the one who was teaching illustrations about the instructions. And Rabbi Haya was very upset. After all, he was teaching the weighty matters of the law. What could possibly be more important than that? Certainly not the illustrations and analogies that Rabbi Abahu was teaching. So he went to Rabbi Abahu afterward and he shared his concern with him. And Rabbi Abahu thought about it for a minute. And then he answered him, with some Haggadah, with a parable. And here's what he said. To what may this be compared? It may be compared to two men. One of them was selling precious stones and other various kinds of small ware, probably cups and plates and spoons, those sorts of things. To whom do the people rush? Is it not to the seller of various kinds of small ware? So you see what he was saying? Rabbi Abahu was admitting that what Rabbi Haya was teaching was technically more important. The instructions were more important. They were like precious stones. But what Rabbi Abahu was teaching was more understandable, more practical, more relatable, more accessible, like small household items that you would use every day. The halakha of the law was important, but it was lofty. The Haggadah, illustrating the law, was easier to relate to and understand. Now, one thing worth knowing about these two different forms of teaching, the Halakha and the Haggadah, is what they really mean, what the words actually mean. Haggadah means a retelling. It's retelling a story. That's what Haggadah means, literally. Halakha means, are you ready for this? The way, or the way to walk, which would mean the way to live. Now, many of you probably already know that the early followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. See, Jesus brought new halakha into his teaching. He brought new, fresh understanding from God. And, and yes, he pulled from the halakha of the past, but he brought new teaching that was fresh and it was exciting and it was different. New instructions, a new way to walk, a new way to live, a new way to follow. Now, when someone decided to become a disciple of a rabbi, they were committing to walk according to his teaching, to walk in his way. 
And this was called putting the rabbi's yoke on them. That's what it was called. Now, for those of you that don't know, the yoke is a wooden beam that can be put on an animal or multiple animals to make sure that they're all working in the same direction and accomplishing what they're supposed to accomplish, not fighting against each other and following the guidance of whoever is controlling the yoke. And so when someone became a disciple of a rabbi, they were said to put that rabbi's yoke on them. Now, you, you know where I'm going with this. Matthew 11 says, Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What Jesus is offering them here is to become their rabbi. He's saying, I want to be your rabbi. I want you to be my followers. I want you to walk in my way. I want you to take my yoke upon you. And Jesus gave them teaching through Halakha and Haggadah, not one or the other, but both, so that they could learn his teaching and follow his teaching, walk in his way, and have his yoke upon them. That's what ties all of this together. Now, in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the parallel Gospels. John is kind of an outlier. Um, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do you know how many of the words of Jesus were spoken in parable form? One-third. One-third of all the words we have recorded in the Synoptic Gospels is actually in parable form. It's Haggadah that Jesus shared to help explain the Halakha, explain the instructions that he was giving or that the Old Testament gave to the people. These were illustrations. And so if you want to understand Jesus, if you want to understand his way, if you want to be a follower of his, you have to dig into the parables. It is a huge part of the teaching of Jesus. The fact that Jesus spoke so often in parables tells us something interesting about him too, that he did not just come and share information from, from him and then kind of leave, but he actually came and entered into the culture and adopted the practice of the culture. He was incredibly culturally relevant. There are many, many parables that we have recorded from lots of different rabbis. And Jesus used the teaching tool of the day that they were already familiar with to communicate incredible truth to them. He entered into society and he contextualized everything. And that's what a parable is. A parable is a way of taking some timeless spiritual truth and making it relevant and applicable to where people are at today. And that's what Jesus did. If you've ever read the parables in an old English version of the Bible, you may have walked away thinking that's poetic, that's beautiful, but it's kind of from a different era. It sort of feels like it's from a different time. But that is not how any of these would have sounded to their listeners when Jesus said them. These were relevant stories that pertain to things that they dealt with every single day. They were used to these things. And so it was his way of entering into their world. So my challenge to you as we're entering into this series on the parables, and this is kind of just one big introduction to the whole series here, is that as we go through this, there are going to be some gems of truth that we're going to find along the way for sure. But don't ignore the smaller wares. Don't ignore the little things that maybe you've heard many times before, but you just need a reminder on. 
Or maybe it's some little extra perspective that you didn't have on Jesus' teaching that's going to change the way you live this week or change the way you think in some way. It may not be some lofty, amazing truth, but it may be a way that that truth is made practical in your life in a way that you haven't experienced before. Don't ignore the smaller wares. That is why Jesus taught in parables, to make these things real to us. So we are going to study a parable today. It's a, it's a short one. Uh, it's a relatively simple one. But before we do that, I just want to explain something about this series. We just came off this long study of the book of Colossians, which was awesome. And I loved working through Colossians together. That was a lot of fun. And I like doing book studies. I like walking through the Bible verse by verse. This parable series is going to be a topical series. We're going to look, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a survey of the parables um, across Jesus' teaching. We're going to pull out some of the most important ones that we are going to learn from, and it's going to be a topical series. But here's the thing. It is also going to be an expository series. And I want to share this just to clear this up because I hear this word used um, in a way that is, that is not actually accurate a lot of times. And that is the confusion that some people have in thinking that verse-by-verse preaching is expository preaching. That is not what that means. There are verse-by-verse teachers that are not expositors. And there are topical preachers that are great expositors. Expository preaching or exposit means to expose, to teach, to expose what is there. Expository preaching means we are looking at the Bible and we're pulling our truth and our main point from the Bible. We're teaching what the Bible communicates. There are lots of different types of expository preaching. There's topical, there's narrative, there's sequential, there's sectional. There's, There's many different ways to do expository preaching. But it's all expository preaching, as long as the truth is coming from God's word. That's where we're pulling it from. I have heard many preachers who preach through the Bible verse by verse and go through books of the Bible, who um, manage to completely misunderstand the text that they're preaching from and work in their own sort of soapbox issue instead of preaching what the text is talking about. They're preaching verse by verse. And so many people would say they're preaching expository preaching. They are not. And I have heard many topical preachers who will take a topic and they'll go survey scripture from it. But the truth that they're teaching comes from God's word and is actually rooted in the text that they're looking at, the texts that they're looking at, that is expository preaching. So just so we're all clear here, every single message we preach here is expository preaching. We will never do a non-expository message because the truth will always be from the Bible. Now, I personally love verse-by-verse teaching. I love taking a book of the Bible and working through it verse by verse and just kind of serving it that way. And that's a great way to teach. It's a great way to preach. But there's nothing more spiritual or holy or better or biblical about verse by verse teaching. And we need to make sure we don't confuse that with expository preaching. Jesus, as far as we know, never preached a verse by verse series, nor did Paul. If they did, it wasn't recorded for us. So it wasn't that important. The method, the format wasn't that important to them. So as we go through this, it's going to be topical. It's going to be expository. The truth is going to be from God's word. And sometimes when we do a topical series like this, we're able to get a a different and better perspective of the whole counsel of God's word than we could if we were going through a book study. Not that that's bad. I have been in obviously many seminary classes and quite a few gatherings with pastors who talk about preaching a lot. And behind closed doors, a lot of pastors who love verse-by-verse teaching will tell you that the main reason they actually love it is because it's easier. And it is. It is much, much easier to do verse-by-verse teaching through a book of the Bible because you literally just pick a book and then work your way through it. Preparing this topical series was far harder than preparing to preach through Colossians because there are 41 different parables of Jesus. 
And they're spread all throughout the synoptic gospels. And you have to look at all of them and understand all of them and try to piece them all together and figure out which one needs to go where and how they flow. And you don't want to overlap because there are some parables that are a different parable, but they actually have the exact same meaning. And there's no point in having one week on this and have this be the takeaway and the next week's on a different parable, but the same exact takeaway. And so it takes a lot of work to prepare a topical series, but I promise you it will all be expository, everything that we are working through. And then in the future, we will get back to doing more book studies as well. Now we want to look at one of these parables today, and this is from Matthew chapter seven. This is, I believe, Jesus' earliest parable. And it's at the beginning of his ministry when he's launching his ministry and he's got disciples around him and he's giving this um, discipleship orientation, basically. He's sharing with them, here's how I want you to live. In Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. He's given all this halakha, all these instructions of how they're supposed to live and what they're supposed to do and, and how they're supposed to treat each other. At the end of all of this, he closes everything with some haggadah, with an illustration, with a parable. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. So if you're, if you're there, go ahead and look at verse 24 with me. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now remember, this is the end of all kinds of teaching and instruction that he's given. And now he caps it off with this parable, this, this connection to someone who builds a house on solid rock and someone who builds a house on sand. And one of the most interesting things about this parable to me is Jesus' emphasis on following. How important it is to both listen and follow. The wise person listens and follows. You know, there are a lot of people today who listen to the words of Jesus. In fact, you'll hear Jesus' name mentioned in many contexts. A lot of people know the words of Jesus. They may even point to the words of Jesus as the reason for some of the things that they do. But there is a big difference between people who know a lot of the words of Jesus and people who follow the words of Jesus. Earlier in this Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus talked about not judging others, that we shouldn't be judgmental of other people. How'd you do with that this week? Did you find yourself judging people quietly? Because that's what Jesus said not to do. We all know those words. We all know that Jesus said we're not supposed to judge other people. And yet in our heart, don't we, and I'm including myself in this, silently tend to we see something and we're, oh, I can't believe that person. We judge them. It's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We're not supposed to be critical or judgmental of other people. This is what Jesus said. Are we following it? Jesus also earlier in this passage talked about how we're supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated. I failed at that big time this week. I know those words. I've listened to them, but I don't always follow them. We can't just listen, but following is so important. That's what Jesus is saying is wise. And there, there's another aspect of this too. You've got to think about the fact that Jesus is talking to people who are, who are his disciples and there's a, another crowd just beyond them that are not really his disciples. And so there's another aspect of following here where there are so many people who can listen to the words of Jesus and think of Jesus as a good man and a good teacher. He had good things to say but they've never decided to actually follow him with their lives. They've never decided to make him their rabbi, 
to commit to following him as their teacher, to take his yoke upon them and say, my life is going to be moving in Jesus' direction. I'm going to walk in his way. That's what it means to truly follow Jesus. There are many people who will use Jesus' words or have learned Jesus' words. They have listened to them, but they don't follow them. That's exactly what this parable is about. Now, there's a parallel parable to this from Luke chapter 6. Maybe it's a retelling of the story that shared some different bits that weren't covered in Matthew, or maybe it's a different time that Jesus said this and he said it a little differently. I tend to think it's maybe from a different time that Jesus said this, but it's in Luke chapter six, verse 46. And Jesus says something very interesting here, right at the beginning. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? He says, I will show you what it's like When someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Now go back to verse 46 in Luke 6 there. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You know, Paul said in Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the way to be saved by Jesus, the way to become a part of his kingdom is to declare that Jesus is Lord. And Lord here is not just a name for Jesus, it's a title. It's acknowledging who he is. It's like ruler or master. Jesus, you are my Lord. Your yoke is on me. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to follow your instructions. I'm going to live my life for you. Not always perfectly, of course, because we're not going to be perfect this side of eternity. But I am choosing to make him the master and the ruler of my life. And so I'm declaring him as my Lord, committing to him as my master. In the the kingdom of God, Jesus is Lord. So if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be okay with Jesus being the Lord of your life. And what Jesus is talking about here at the beginning of this parable is that many people will say he's the Lord. They may even declare that he's their Lord, but by their actions, they show that he's really not. And that's actually literally what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. You're taking the name of the Lord on yourself. You're saying that you are a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus, and that you've never actually committed your life to him, or you're not living that way. And so you've taken the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus said that you will know his followers by, by what they do, not just what they say. We can't just listen. We have to listen and follow. Not that any of us can perfectly follow him in this life, of course. We, but we all know Christians or people who claim to be Christians who talk about their faith in Jesus. But when you look at the pattern of their life, you say, I don't see you following his way. I don't see you walking in his teaching. And it's so consistent and so long over your life that I don't think he's really your Lord. Even though you say it. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do the things that I say. Here's what it's like. One person who builds a foundation that is good and deep and on the rock and another person that builds it right on the ground. You know, the people of the ancient world knew how to build really good buildings. For not having all the technology we have today, they made some amazing stuff. I mean, just think about the pyramids, right? That stuff was incredible. And there's building structures like that all over the world. But right around Jesus at this time, 
There were a number of structures that were relatively new that were incredibly impressive. And they were built by Herod the Great. That's why he's Herod the Great. He was Herod the Great Builder. He was known as an incredible builder. And he made structures that were absolutely amazing. If you've been to Israel with us in the the past or will be going again in the near future, you can see some of the things that he built and they are jaw-dropping. The temple complex, which is nowhere near as impressive as it once was, is still an incredible structure. And that was built under Herod the Great. He built auditoriums and and theaters and stadiums and all sorts of structures. He, he 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 had this home built for himself, a palace, where he wanted it to be up high. He wanted it to be on a mountain. But the place where he wanted it, there was no mountain. So they built a mountain. They had an army of people come in and like construct this huge mountain so that he could build a palace on top of it. And at the bottom of this mountain, there was a pool that was really more like a lake. It was this massive pool that they constructed. It was so big that he would sail boats on it. And he's an extravagant builder. He built the city of Caesarea Maritima. And in Caesarea, which you can, you can go there today and see some of the structures there, the amphitheater and, and what's left of the harbor, an amazing city where they had an underground sewer system. That's right. Back in Jesus' day, there was a city that had an underground network of, of sewer system, and the tide, when it would come in, would wash everything away. Now, I don't know if you want to go swim in the harbor, but it was very sanitary inside the city. Incredible. Incredible. There'd be many, many incredible cities that would not have a structure as well built as this for hundreds and hundreds of years. There was a harbor out there that was built with underwater concrete. They shipped in thousands and thousands of pounds of special material and ash to mix an underwater concrete and build it underwater on the ground so that they had this artificial harbor that was the best one for miles and miles around. It was incredible. He built another place called Masada. It's this fortress on a, a mountain as a, as a palace for him. I've got a picture so you can see what this looks like. This is Masada. It's built on a, on a mountainside and it's virtually impervious to attack if you're defending it well. And you can go there today and you can walk through this and see this, this incredible um, engineering marvel that they had to haul everything up here and build this structure. The point is they knew how to build. And there were all these impressive buildings all around them in Israel. It was kind of a renaissance period as far as great structures and buildings in Israel were concerned. And and so they knew how foolish it was to build without a good foundation. They knew what good building looked like. They knew you had to dig down deep to get to the bedrock. You had to put your foundation down there so that the whole structure sat on something solid that wasn't going to move so that when the rains came and, and washed dirt and sand away, your house would still be standing strong it wasn't based on the ground. It was based on the rock below it. Oh, I want you to notice something about what Jesus is communicating in this parable. Because he's not just saying it's important to have a good foundation. It is. He's also saying something else. He says, when the rains come, when the floods come, when the winds blow. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you become my disciple, things are going to get really, really easy for you. He doesn't say, I'm going to protect you and keep any of those things from ever coming at you. You'll never have any storms in life. He says, when the storms come, your foundation will be strong and it will be solid and you will be able to withstand what is hitting you. If you build a solid foundation, if you listen to and apply my teaching. Because you know, we can be certain that there will be storms that we face in life, even as a follower of Jesus. And maybe this last year, was a storm for you. It certainly was for many of us. 
how you handle those storms of life will be determined not just by the decisions you make in the storm, but by the decisions you make before the storm even hits. You see, the time to start digging that deep foundation is not in the middle of the storm. I mean, if you have to start then and you have no choice, then okay. But the time to start digging a deep foundation is before the storm hits. You do that in advance. One of the things that concerns us as pastors and elders of this church going through this pandemic together is that one of the major aspects of having a strong foundation is is building it together. It's being with other Christians. And yes, technology has given us some incredible ways to virtualize that, but it's still not the same, is it? It's still not quite the same as just being there together in person. It's been a a long time now where for a lot of us, we've been apart from each other. And even before the pandemic, uh, one of the interesting things was if you look at the adults and the kids that attend first free, and then you look at the weekly attendance of people actually gathering, um, quite a bit less than half of the people who would say they're a regular attender of this church actually come here on a weekly basis. And of course, there are reasons for that. And there's travel and, and, and there's sickness. And that's why we offered the live stream even before the pandemic hit. And that's why we were ready to go when it did hit. But it is a challenge to us that we so often prioritize other things above the gathering of the body of Christ. When that is such a huge aspect of our spiritual foundation. And I know that there are people right now who have to be at home. I'm not ripping on you. I'm not trying to shame you. I get that. But as we come out of this pandemic, my prayer and the prayer of our elder board and the prayer of our pastors, and I hope your prayer as well, is that we will have a renewed sense of commitment to the gathering of the body of Christ, that we will prioritize being at church. Here's the thing for your kids. If you've got kids, their spiritual foundation is being built up by being in an environment where they're being discipled by other people who are followers of Jesus. And you know, a lot of times they're gonna listen to other Christians who are adults better than you. I know that because it's true for my kids. I can tell my kids something, but if they hear it from one of their teachers at church, well, that's a big deal. You need your kids to be in a place where their spiritual foundation is being developed so that when the storms of life hit, and they will, they have a strong foundation and they can weather it. And we need that too. We need to be together as a body of Christ. There are other things that contribute to your spiritual foundation as well. Reading the Bible, spending time in God's word. You know, chances are all of us have Bibles around our house, like multiples, multiple Bibles. (laughs) And yet how often do we actually pick them up and read them and listen to the teachings of Jesus? You have to listen before you can follow. You have to learn them before you can do them. And so we need to be spending time in God's word, not just here. This is a shot in the arm once a week. You need everyday dose of God's word in your life to build up that spiritual foundation so that when the storm of life hits, you know the truth. You've been saturated with it. It's in your mind and you've got that foundation. Prayer is another part of that. Spending time in prayer with God every day. And I don't just mean before meals. I mean, taking some time alone to just sit down and say, God, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm struggling with right now. Would you help me to grow in this? Would you teach me? Before you read God's word, God, would you open this up to me and help me to understand what you want me to learn? Build my foundation deep, God. I want you to follow me and guide me. These are the things that build up our foundation. Serving other people builds our foundation. After all, Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their fruit. And he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me. 
He made it abundantly clear that he expects us as part of following him to be serving other people, to be serving other Christians, and even to be serving our enemies. And so all of these things, involvement in the local body of Christ, reading God's word, spending time in prayer, serving other people, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, wherever that is, all of that helps to build up our foundation. And so my question for you today as we close is how's your foundation today? Maybe you're in the calm before a storm and you've got some time to build and develop. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now and you're waiting for it to get over with. Or maybe you've just gone through a storm and it's been a difficult time and you still need to build your foundation to prepare for the next one. My encouragement to you is to take a look at your spiritual house. Look for the cracks in the foundation. Look for where there needs to be some more attention to your spiritual house. And over the next few months, as we look through these parables of Jesus together, we're going to have a chance to do that because we're going to explore all of these teachings of Jesus that are Haggadah, all of the illustrations about the commands to try to understand what was he trying to communicate? How does he want us to live? How is this going to give us the kind of deep foundation that he said he wanted for his followers? Now, one other thing I'll, I'll share as we close today, there are undoubtedly people here today or who are watching online who have never actually made a commitment to follow Jesus, to make him their rabbi, to make him their teacher, to take his yoke on them and say, I'm going to follow him. And I just want to speak to you briefly for a moment. If, if you're here, or if you're watching online, today is a great day to make Jesus your teacher. Today is a great day to say, I am done with trying to do things my own way. I'm going to follow Jesus. Not just listen to him, not just think he's a great guy, but I'm going to follow him. I'm going to make him my Lord and I'm going to mean it. I'm going to actually commit my life to him. And so what I'm going to invite you to do right now, I'm just going to have everybody, if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes and, and bow your heads with me. If you're at home, you can do that if you want to. But if that's you, if I'm talking to you today and you have never made Jesus your Lord, you've never trusted in him, you've never committed to follow him, then today would be a great day to do that. We, we read that passage in Romans that says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's something I invite you to do today, to speak to God right now. He can hear you, to acknowledge the fact that you can't do this on your own, that you can't figure life out on your own, that you can't get to eternity on your own, that you can't bridge that gap between you and God on your own because you are sinful and God is perfect and he is holy. He can't have any sin anywhere near him. In his kingdom, there can be no sin. And the only way that gets out of our lives is not through anything we can do, it's through Jesus. It's through what he's done for us. And so you can speak to God right now and say, Lord, I, I want you to be my Lord. I wanna, I wanna trust you for the rest of my life. I wanna commit to following you. I want you to guide me. I want you to save me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done bad things. I've had bad thoughts. All of us have. But Lord, I ask you to save me. And I ask you to lead me. I wanna listen. And today I'm committing to follow. And for all of us, Let's commit ourselves, recommit ourselves if we need to, to not just learning about the teachings of Jesus, but the putting them in practice in our lives. So that when we say, Lord, Lord, he can say, you mean it. I know you mean it because of how you live your life, because you obey what I say to do. Thank you, Father, for everything you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for making sure that your words were recorded so that we could have them today and learn from them. And then they're so rich and so vibrant and they teach us how you want us to live, how you want us to think. Help us to live it out, God. 
Jesus, I pray that you would give us direction as we put that yoke on us so that we make wise choices every day so that we have a strong, solid foundation so that we can point others to you and so that when the storms of life come and hit us, Lord, we would have such a strong foundation in you that we would say, you know what? God knew this was coming. God knew this storm was gonna happen. He's prepared me for it. And I'm just gonna look for whatever his purpose is in it. Thank you, Jesus, for being our savior. In your name we pray, amen.